This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. On this episode of Narcissist Apocalypse, we talk with an abuse survivor named Regan. And Regan was in a toxic relationship with a future faking abuser. It's a story of belief systems, moving goalposts, breadcrumbs, Hoover tactics, and looking inward in the aftermath. Welcome to Narcissist Apocalypse, everyone. This is a podcast that gives a voice to survivors of toxic relationships. I am Brandon Chadwick, but my friends call me Chad, and thanks for tuning into this episode. So what is a narcissist, you may ask? Well, for the purposes of this podcast, we refer to a narcissist as anyone who has displayed a pattern of behavior that shows a limited capacity to appreciate others' perspectives. It is that simple. And now, before we get to our episode, please do go to our website at NarcissistApocalypse.com if you want to be a part of our show. At the top of the page, we have a button that says Guest Form. Click on that button, fill out the form, and we will go from there. Another way to be on our show is to be part of our Letters to My Narcissist compilation episode. And again, you go to NarcissistApocalypse.com. On the side of the page, there's a floating button that says Send Voicemail. You can read your letter. It records up to five minutes. If you need 10 minutes, press it twice, 15, three times. And if you do not want to read the letter yourself, please send us an email at NarcissistApocalypse at gmail.com and put letters to my narcissist in the subject line. And me or my old pal, Melissa, will read the letter for you instead. And what else do we have going on? Well... We have a Patreon, everyone. If you want to support our show, become a patron of our Patreon. We have episodes that never made it to air, follow-up episodes with former guests. We have pop culture kind of episodes that are, you know, in this kind of vein, narcissist-related. And we have online support groups through Zoom every Wednesday and Saturday. And we also have our own private support forum which is a little bit safer than Facebook. It's off of Facebook and, you know, it's growing. So everyone join our Patreon at patreon.com slash Narcissist Apocalypse. 
and other ways that you can help support us right now, we have a uh, we have a questionnaire we would like you to fill out. It's a demographic questionnaire. We are giving away 10 $25 gift cards in a raffle if you fill out this questionnaire. And we are doing that draw on September 1st, 2021. So please help us out and fill out that questionnaire for us. That will be uh, in our actual description of the show. We will leave the link to that. And now I just want to say a big thanks to Regan for doing the show, being our guest. She did a great job. And we talk a lot about a lot of things. We point out a lot of things. And Regan really gets into the depths of how she was feeling and her struggles, not just in it, but in the aftermath. She did a great job. I just want to thank her from the bottom of my heart for, for doing it. We recorded a couple of times because I, I screwed up the sound in the second part, but I think this is pretty good sound this episode. Uh, so I just want to, uh, you know, we're trying to get better at doing that. And now, without further ado, here is my episode with Regan. Welcome to Narcissist Apocalypse, everyone. With me today, I have Regan. How are you? I'm doing well. Thank you for having me. How are you? I am good. And today we're going to hear... Uh, your story of your relationship. It was an abusive relationship, emotionally abusive. Um, and I just want to thank you for being here. I know you're going to help a lot of people. So with, from the bottom of my heart, thank you for being here. And without further ado, Regan, the floor is now yours. Awesome. Well, thank you so much again for having me. Um, I've been listening to this podcast now probably over a year. So never thought I would be in this, you know, situation, or I guess I never thought I would have the courage to go on. But, you know, recently something just came over me and I was like, hey, why don't I go on? Why don't I tell my story? Um, I know so many people out there have helped me. So I'm hoping I can help some people as well. I'm definitely a little nervous, but yeah, let's get started. So I guess a little bit about me. I know that's usually where we start. I, I had a great childhood. I had a great life. You know, a lot of people looking in would, and it was true. They would say cookie cutter type of family, mom, dad, you know, married for, for 30 years. Um, I had a, I, I have a younger sister. And yeah, it, it was a, it was a good childhood, but I always, I always felt like, growing up either at school or, you know, maybe even in my family. And this was probably pressure I put on myself, but I always felt like I had to go above and beyond. You know, I had to do cartwheels, backflips, um, you know, just to get noticed or to get heard or understood. Um, I did this a lot at school. And I think, you know, having that from my childhood, I brought that with my relationships, you know, whatever the other person liked, I liked, right? Um, I always felt like I had to fit in everyone's molds or, okay, you, you like this sport team. I like this sports team. But, you know, I was just a, I was a people pleaser. I wanted to make everyone happy. I wanted to make everyone comfortable. You know, if someone had an issue, I was always just putting other people before myself. 
you know, wanted to just take everyone's pain away. And, and while doing that, I didn't realize I was just focusing all of my energy on everyone else, right? And not on myself. So I think that that obviously led me to the, the certain relationships that I ended up in. Um, not all my relationship or, you know, relationships were abusive. Obviously, the one I'm on here to talk about was a five-year relationship. But I always found myself, you know, getting in these relationships where there was someone else involved, you know, either another girl that was involved. And, you know, I, I again, the backflips and the cartwheels to be noticed. I saw everything as a competition. I had to win. I needed to win their love and approval. And that's how I entered most of my relationships, um, including the one I'm about to talk about right now. I have a question. Yeah. Do you do things because you want to do things or because you're expected to do them? <laughs> I mean, mostly, or I guess up until this point, right now I'm a year and a half in with therapy, um, mostly because I felt like I had to. Um, if it, someone else wanted me to be somewhere or do something, I would do it because I didn't want to disappoint them or make them mad or annoyed. So yeah, most of the time, if someone else wants me to do something, I would say. So yeah, I guess starting, you know, they, they say the, the love bombing, right? So with my ex, it was, it was a little weird. So we met, we met through a mutual friend. Um, this was back in college. And, you know, so I, met him and we stayed friends. I'm saying this kind of with air quotes, right? We stayed friends for a while before we started dating. Um, I was not interested. You know, I, I saw him, I obviously at first thought he was attractive and I thought he was smart and, you know, he was the big shot on the football team. So physically I was attracted to him. I thought he was cute, but his personality, I just, I don't know. I just didn't really like him at first. He was just my one of my friends' roommate. That's all he was to me. So I, I, I kind of blew him off for a while, um, which I guess is a little bit different than how some of these stories go where, you know, they were hooked right away and uh, love at first sight and all of this. I would say, though, once I did let my guard down and, you know, we obviously started dating, the tables turned very quickly. But during this time when we were, you know, just friends, I, I just remember he was always there. He was always pursuing me. He was always trying to talk to me. He was always trying to be around me. I think at one time he made a comment. It was my 21st birthday. And we all went out and they, you know, they had this whole night planned for me. And he said to his roommates, I still have dibs on her, you know? So he just, he just was pursuing me for, for a very long time. Um, at this point, this was the first time in my life that I was single. I always was in a relationship. So I was just having fun. It was my senior year of college, the first semester, and I was just enjoying having fun, you know, flirting with people and, and just hanging out with my friends. So he, you know, this person wasn't really someone that I had on my mind. In fact, you know, when he would reach out to me, I'd almost roll my eyes. I was like, oh, him again, you know, wishing it would be other people that I had my eyes on at the time, I guess you can say. So fast forward a few months, you know, into being friends, or I guess even into the next school year now. I remember the holidays rolling around. And again, I was used to always having a boyfriend. So 
not having one. You know, I, I remember sitting with my roommate, just having girls talk. And I was like, well, you know, there's always, let's just call him John, right? There's always John. I can always just date or go with John. So that's just, I, I say that just so you can tell from the story that the tables are really turned at this point. After that, you know, then, um, you know, February rolls around, Valentine's Day, we start talking. And at this point, I do, I do start to like him. Um and again, back to what I said about, you know, how I entered relationships, there were two other girls in the picture and that was very known. You know, he would tell me, oh, you're my number three. You know, I have, I have two other girls. You're my number three. So to me, right, competition, there's two other girls. I have to beat them. I have to win. I have to win his love. So in, in a way it, it became a game. And I didn't realize that how unhealthy this was at the time, but you know, that, that is how it started. So love bombing, I would say it didn't last too long. You know, when I met him, I I did find him annoying, but in a way, annoyingly funny. You know, I know I'm kind of backtracking a little bit, but the first night I met him, we ended up at my dorm room with his roommates, my roommates. And I remember he was trying to get us to buy him pizza. And I was like, who does this guy think he is, you know? why would I just buy him a pizza, you know, and he was kind of demanding it, but joking. So, you know, I, I from the very beginning, just found his, him to be attractive, but just, just kind of like a douchebag in a way, annoying. Um, but anyways, fast forward, you know, we're starting to talk, we're starting to date. It's around Valentine's Day at this time, which ended up being around Valentine's Day, our anniversary, moving forward. Um, but one of the first love bombing memories I have is, again, we're in college, right? So I went home for the day um, and I came back to my dorm room and I had a dozen red roses and chocolates and a teddy bear and a handwritten letter. And the handwritten letter just said how much he likes me and how he's so nervous for this date and how he put a lot of thought into this date and um, you know, just what he likes about me and he's nervous, but be ready for 6 PM and I'm going to pick you up and we're going to have a whole night planned. So again, you know, going back to who he was, I was like, wow, like he has a soft side. Like he's not just this, you know, football player that thinks he runs the show, runs the school. I mean, he must really care for me. He's writing me a handwritten letter. He's taking me on a date. Like I, I was, you know, that was, I guess the first time that I was the love bombing you know thinking back I I like to say that the first year that we dated was good and I always found that I kept going back to that I kept going back to that first year of dating thinking why was it so easy back then I didn't even try and he was just pursuing me and you know sending me texts and snapchat saying you're the most beautiful woman in the world and you know you're mine and you know, just compliments left and right, you know, taking me out on day dates and, you know, going by the ocean and taking out these little cars that we drove around this, this little city. And I just remember as the years went on, and this was a five-year relationship, just to put into perspective, I just kept going back to that and wanting to get to that moment. I, I laughed because he got me flowers three times in our relationship. One, in the beginning when he was trying to win me over right before we started dating. The second time was a year after that. So the next Valentine's day, 
and a year into our relationship and after I broke up with him. So you can see it was, you know, polar opposites. He, he did what he had to, to get me. And then towards the end when, which obviously we'll get to. So yeah, once, once I guess he had me, the tables did turn. Um, but trust, you know, going over trust building, right. In the beginning, we just, we talked so much. We just, we used to lay there, you know, in his bed and talk for hours. And, you know, he would tell me about his ex-girlfriend, which was his high school sweetheart. And it's funny because the story he told me, you know, and then if I ever brought it up again, oh, I didn't say that, or that's not how it went down. Um, but again, I was, it was a competition. He told me that his high school sweetheart, they were together for three and a half years and she was his first and, you know, telling me all these stories of his, his dad dropping him off at her house and, you know, just everything that they would do. He thought he was going to marry her. And I just remember feeling so jealous of this girl that I didn't know. I was like, Oh, I, I wanted to be that person for him. I want him to think all those things of me. Um, you know, he talked a lot about his family and before I met them, he talked them up so much. Like they were so mean and they were so hard on him and they had, you know, expectations so high for him and his sister. Um, so in the beginning, it was just a lot of, you know, talking and, and just getting to know each other. So he's playing the victim card, uh, at this point and, you know, that feeds into you, uh, I guess you're being a people pleaser. Uh, you're a fixer. I'm going to kind of say maybe you're a fixer yeah. as well, but you think that you can probably help him or at least, you know, the seeds he's sowing here will come into play maybe later as far as dropping things to help him because it will always be something and maybe woe is me. Am I off off the beaten path here? No, I think he definitely did do that, especially in the beginning and the end, I would say. Not so much in the, the middle of the relationship, um, but definitely, yes, in the beginning and in the end. So um, th- this part right here hooks you in uh, further where you're already kind of hooked in as far as uh, this guy uh, just love bombing you right there in this extravagant big way. Uh, the competition aspect of, of things also kind of gets you hooked in. And now there's this victim playing part. And those three things are probably the main uh, ways that um, you were hooked in. Uh, and like, there was no going back. Yeah, I would say it was that, but also more so I saw him I from the very beginning, just because of who he was, I put him on a on a pedestal. Almost like, you know, although we were in college, almost like I had a high school mindset where he's the popular guy and he's so smart and he's great at football and you know, again, he's popular. How can he like me? You know, so going into it, I didn't have much confidence. Um, so I guess what hooked me was just the fact of, wow, like he likes me, right? I'm not the smartest person or so I thought, um, you know, I wasn't an athlete or, you know, I, I, at the time I didn't feel like I had much to show. So being that he, he liked me when he had all of these options to me hooked me because I was like, wow, 
I, I must be doing something right for him to like me. So in a way, um, he he cho- he chooses you, and in a way that makes you feel seen or appreciated in a way you had not felt. Yeah. Yep. Definitely. Okay. Um, Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. You know, in, in the beginning too, which it's so funny thinking back because I didn't even know this at the time, but a lot of the stories in the beginning were college, right? So I'll say college parties. I remember one night being at a, at a college party and, and someone must have saw us talking together and this girl kind of grabbed my arm and she's like, are you talking to him? And I was like, yeah, like why? She was, oh my gosh, like you need to run. Like he really hurt my friend. And at the time it's like, I, it didn't even sink in. I was just like, oh, like who is this stranger telling me this? Like it did not register until years later when I thought back, like someone told me before all of this started and I just didn't listen to it. Um, you know, in the, in the beginning too, people would drive by his house and honk. Girls would be screaming his name. It was out of the movies, screaming his name. We would be in a, in a good way, like an excited way. We'd be out to dinner and there'd be a table of girls next to us, just chanting his name, you know, for him to look over there. Um, so all of this was just fueling me because he wasn't entertaining it. So again, I was just like, wow, he must really like me. He must really want to be with me. So, yeah, the the hook was he chose me, right? Um, So there was one night where there was this bar that everyone at school went to. It was a a big school, I guess, but everyone pretty much knew each other, like a big high school. Um, There was a bar on Friday nights that we all went out to. And I'm kind of backtracking a little bit because I don't think we were dating at this point, but probably talking. Um, so, you know, I was doing my own thing. I'm dancing with other people. I'm with my friends. Obviously he's in the room. Um, and he grabbed my, I kind of walked by him. He grabbed my arm kind of hard, like yanked it. So I was like, okay, I kind of stopped my tracks and he, he just was like, if you don't come over tonight, I'm never talking to you again. And I just remember, you know, I was like, what? Like, scared in a way like if I didn't do what he said this would all end and you know he would be done with me and that just set the tone for our relationship because I was always afraid that was going to happen I was always afraid he was going to give up on me or just leave me or be done with me right like I'm done with you we're, we're done here um so then he whispers in my ear which at the time I thought was so romantic but looking back it's really not Um, he said something along the lines of, I would rather have one night with you than a thousand with her, like the other girl that he was pursuing at that time. Um, and I saw that as so romantic being like, wow, like, you know, one night with me versus a thousand with someone else. Um, so yeah, I guess you could say these were the planting of the seeds. Did did he say those things like relatively close to each other as far as like, uh, in the same sentence or in the same conversation? Yeah, that was in the same, the same conversation. Yeah. So right there he is, 
you know, putting you on this uh, pedestal um, and making you feel like you are the only one. And then at the same time, here comes this negative comment, which is a controlling comment, like uh, which is pressuring you to come over and control. And if you don't do that, everything is over. So, you know, you're getting the polar opposites that are now ripping you inside internally. And you don't want that to end because you feel so, he chose you and you're feeling so special and you have to, and now you're so hooked at this point that you have to do what he says or it's gone. And that would just be devastating. You've been really hooked with a real big injection of heroin at this point where like, you know, that's a big uh, opposite, polar opposite early on to know that it can be taken away. And, you know, that is, you're, you know, you're going to need your fix and he can ping pong you at that point so easily. Yeah. And obviously at the time I didn't see it, but, um, yeah, there, there. I mean, throughout the entire relationship, there was so much control. I mean, it got to a point where I couldn't even think for myself. And ever any thought I had, I had him in mind. Would he approve this? What would he say? What would he think? What would he do? Um, so that, yeah, exactly what you just said. That was just proving that from the very beginning, you know, the the control was setting in. Um, you know, as time went on, I'm probably skipping ahead a little bit, but. You know, I, I always told myself, you know, because once he had me, the tables turned, right? Then I was the one that was pining over him. I was the one, you know, pursuing him and, and reaching out and, and everything. And, and he just didn't care after he got me. Um, but as time went on, I told myself, well, if he didn't love me and he didn't want to be with me, he wouldn't. You know, if, if he didn't want to be here, he would leave. That's what I thought. And that's what I thought throughout the entire relationship. When I couldn't figure this out, I'm like, why is he so mean? Why is he doing this? If he loves me, how, why is he treating me like this? But I kept going back to, well, if he didn't want to be with me, he wouldn't. If he wanted to be with someone else, he would. Um, so these are the, I guess, false stories or hopes I told myself throughout the entire relationship. And the problem was, I thought his intentions, his heart, his soul, whatever you want to say was the same as mine. And obviously it wasn't. At the end of the day, it all came down to control. He wanted to control me. Um, so I guess, you know, I, I say the first year was, was the best. And I think that's just because, you know, the love bombing was involved, uh, putting me on a pedestal. The, the fights weren't really there. But if I really think about it, I would say probably by three months in was the first time I saw the mask slip, but I just didn't realize it at the time. So when you look at it, that's not that much time together to already have issues. So he, he was a grade older than me, but he went to a different school, a D2 school to play football. Something happened where he got kicked out of the team. So he says, because he didn't show up to practice on time, whatever. So then he ended up at our school. And because of that, he ended up in, in my grade and he was able to play football for another year. It, we called it, you know, a super senior. So he was in my grade, hence our undergrad graduation was the same day. So the day of our graduation, 
Um, so our, you know, our school is big. So it's broken into uh, the morning graduation and the afternoon. Thankfully, our majors ended up in the same ceremony. So we were both in the morning. I remember just being so grateful because part of me was afraid that if we had different ceremonies, that he wouldn't want to stick around the whole day to then see me cross the stage. Um, so he went first because his major was accounting. So that's A, right? So he went first. And I remember it came up to my my turn. And obviously, we're not sitting near each other, but he's texting me the whole time. And he always did this. It's He would always just try to push the buttons. It's like I knew he was joking, but at the same time, I got so nervous that he wasn't. Um, and it was just constant fear of, is he joking? Is he not? Does he mean it? You know, will he actually do what he's saying? Or is he just trying to push my buttons? And he was texting me, this is taking too long. You know, once I walk across the stage, I'm leaving. I'm going to meet up with my family. I'm not, you know, going to watch you walk across the stage. And I just remember being like, are you serious? Like, this is a big moment. Like, you have to watch me. I just watched you. Like, I'm meeting your parents. This is the first time I'm meeting his parents. He's meeting mine. You know, it's a big day. And of course, he did stay. He stayed, you know, and he watched me across the stage. But it was little things like that where he just, you know, just tried to make me nervous. And it's like if the attention attention wasn't on him for five minutes and it was on me, he had to jump in so I would get all, all rattled. And that was a word he used a lot. Oh, are you rattled? You know, he would ask me, like, are you all rattled up? So that night, I guess that was the first time I saw the mask slip. Um, we, you know, we had a graduation. We, I met his parents. I, I remember his, he, he talked a big game about his parents. Like they were just so mean and they were so tough and, and they were tough, but I got along with them very well. We had a great relationship. You know, looking back though, I, I do think his mother had narcissistic abilities or capabilities, I should say. Because one of the, you know, I met them, they were nice, but the first thing they said is to me is, oh, where's your rope? Because, you know, if your GPA is a certain number, you get different ropes around your neck. Um, and I just remember being like, oh, you know, from the very beginning, it's, it's a weird thing to say to someone. And then she looked to her son and said, oh, you only have one. Why is that? Why don't you have all three? So that was kind of the first time I was like, okay, like maybe he's right. They are, they're nice, but they have very high expectations. So that night we, we, you know, we go to dinner with my family and then everyone's having, cause he at the time lived off campus in an apartment. So we went to a party that night to all celebrate. We're all having a great time. Everyone's having fun. And then he looks at me, he goes, so how does it feel knowing that you graduated with a nonsense major? And I was just, at this time, I, I never heard him really say something like that. And I was like, what, what are you talking about? Like, why would you say that to me? Like, I just worked so hard. We just graduated. Like it's a big deal, you know, graduating. Um, and yeah, that was just the first thing he's like, well, or he might even said a bullshit major. Um, and I was just so taken back and so hurt by that. And I, you know, I fought back at that point cause I, I never really had issues with him. And that was one of the first times I guess I saw the mask slip because of his upbringing, right? His parents, you know, you go to school for your major and that's your job, right? He went to school for accounting. He's an accountant. His sister went for teaching. She's a teacher. My major, you know, I'm not doing anything 
with my major. Um, obviously, you know, my job I have is a different field than my major. So that I guess that was the first time I, I saw the mask slip. But, you know, as, as time went on, you know, they say, okay, the future faking. And what did that look like? Um, I guess for us, you know, nine months in, I would say, um, we were out in the city. You know, we we were having a great night. It was a great time. Um, and I remember that night, again, laying down, because that's what we did. We laid down, we would talk, and it was just, a, you know, I felt so safe and happy in those times. And he said to me, again, nine months in, by next Christmas, you know, you're going to have a ring on your finger. You're going to be at the table with my family. We're going to be engaged. Like, you'll have a ring on your finger. So at this point, I mean, I, I held on to that story for years. You know, I was so, so happy when he said that. Because at that time, it's almost like that, that's all I was focused with. Like, I was so focused on moving in and getting engaged and getting married and having the happily ever after that hearing that, I mean, it helped me in more. And knowing that he felt that way when I really didn't know he did at that point, it, I mean, it, it felt like a million bucks hearing that. You know, as time went on to, you know, it, the, the goalposts kept moving, right? Well, if we're together for a year and a half, I know we'll get married. You know, I, I just know we will. Um, you know, as time went on, though, that, that story always changed. You know, sometimes he would say, well, I don't want to get married. I, I hope you know, I have no intentions of getting married. I don't want to have kids. And then two months later, he's talking about getting married. So I, I just remember as the relationship went on, I kept getting confused. I was like, do you want to get married? Do you not? He would say things like, well, your sister is so athletic, so I'm going to have to have kids with her because then our kid can be a, an NFL player. If I have a kid with you, they won't be athletic. You know, so just different things like that where it just the goalposts kept moving. Um, and, you know, I guess that was the, the future faking or – you know, I don't want to move in until we're engaged. And then if we'd get in a fight, he would say, oh, no, 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 we're going to move in by, by next year. So I was always just back and forth. I never knew what he meant, what he didn't. Um, it, it was always a back and forth in that regard. So his love bomb is taking away and then putting it back. So he takes things away. He is putting you on edge. You're on your back foot. You know, you're trying to maybe conform or just um, be on not your best behavior, but to, um, you know, what's the best way to put it? You're being put in a spot where you're teetering and you're uneasy. He likes to maybe feel that you are in... Uh, as you said before, a rattled situation. It's something yeah. that he gets some sort of pleasure out of. And yep. then when, you know, bad things might be happening for a bit, instead of love bombing, love bombing, he gives you the future he promised you again. And that settles you down. Was that fair? Yeah, that is fair. Um, and then I, I guess I would take it a step further, which... You know, I, I hear other people saying as well, the the little bits and pieces, he the breadcrumbs, right? Um, anything that he would say, the little breadcrumbs, I just took to heart, right? I was like, oh my gosh, you know, he's giving me 
he gave me so little, but I just took it and ran with it. Whatever he would give me in those moments, I just cherished. And it really wasn't much. Um, but to me, it, you know, it, it would go back. Oh, of course he, lo- you know, loves me and wants to be with me. And, and he just has a hard time showing it, you know? So I, I had a lot of these internal conversations with myself throughout the entire relationship. Um, I always, I always knew though it felt different and it looked different. And I was for five years, just comparing myself, comparing, you know, seeing my other friends and relationships, seeing my coworkers, family members, and just always sitting, like I had so much for five years internally. I was always just, you know, people now that know me and known me my whole life, they're like, you were so different during that time. You were so internal. You were so quiet. You were just, you were in your head. And then now when I got out of it, you know, I'm back to myself where I'm loud and I'll talk and, you know, I'm energetic. Um, so I spent a lot of time just internally, just in my head and in my own thoughts for, for years. Yeah. I was going to ask you that, you know, you're going through this and, you know, you're uh, with your answer just there or just what you said, your statement, you know, you're probably not reaching out to other people asking, is this normal? Um, because maybe if you did, people would say that's, that's not normal. So you're, you're trying to, you know, something might be wrong unconsciously. You don't know really what it is. And you're just in your head trying to figure it out because you're just so confused. He's really done a number on you at, at this point, uh, you're at the one year mark and, you know, fog is, fog is definitely set in a fear, obligation and and guilt. And that cloud is, um, super strong over top of you. Yeah. Yeah. That definitely makes sense. Um, and then, you know, as the story goes on, there were people, I, I definitely was isolated and I didn't realize how much I was, um, but I'm also someone that wears my emotions on my sleeve. So people closest to me, and I had people that I did confide in. And, you know, of course, I wouldn't tell them everything or the full story, but enough um, that I wear my emotions on my sleeve. So people knew, you know, and at the time I still lived at home. So they would see when I was upset, I would be very quiet. It, you know, I'd look like I was crying and, you know, they would say, oh, it's wrong. You know, pe- people would be able to tell. So let's fast forward a little bit. So that was the first year, um, right? I guess the first memory I have of the the first big fight, which was really bad, was we were going on a year of dating at this point. So, you know, like I mentioned in the beginning, the Valentine's Day, for years on end, that was our time. I used to love Valentine's Day. It was right around our anniversary you know he was nice and we'd go back to this restaurant that we went for three years after and I just thought this is our time this is when he's going to be nice we're going to go back to this restaurant we're going to have a great night we'd go to the movies after um and so we did that for the first year you know he took me back to that restaurant for our first date you know it was a great time fast forward a month later in March around this time again because he was a super senior right so at this time I'm working my first job because I graduated and he had one more year of school which he was in his master's program at this time and um, so he could play one more year of football so at this point you know we were talking about 
hey, I have my spring break coming up. Like I, at first he said, oh, I'm going to go on an all-inclusive vacation with the football guys. And I remember being like, okay, like, can I come? And, you know, he's, he's like, oh no, I'm going to go with the guys. You can't come, blah, blah, blah. Well, that never ended up happening. They probably didn't have money or whatever it was. Um, so then I was allowed, you know, again, second class citizen, second in line, his friends don't want to go. So let me go with you. So I just remember I was so excited and and I did this throughout our entire relationship. Anytime we had any trips or weekends, I just jumped on it. I was just so excited because I knew he would be in vacation mode and he'd be happy. And we'd go back to, again, that the beginning of the, the first year, that place I kept trying to bring him to and for us to get to for our entire relationship. So we booked this trip and we're, we're going to Mexico, um, for his spring break. And I didn't know this at the time, but I guess, you know, after all my research and and books and everything I've learned, narcissists will take an important time to you, whether it's birthdays or anniversaries, and they'll do something bad, right? Again, to get the, you know, kind of to shake you up or to get the attention off of you and the situation and back on them. And that's exactly what he did. Um, This was the first time I saw him get violent. And to be honest with you, this memory is very, it's very foggy to me. It's like, I remember it, but even saying it out loud, I'm like, did that actually happen? Like, am I saying it right? Um, I I spoke about this with my therapist and actually last, last time we met and I told her I was going on this podcast. And she said, no, don't forget the way you told me is exactly how you're saying it now. Like that's how it happened. So we're leaving for this trip in a week. Um, it was Saturday night and we went to one of his friend's parties. We were having a great night, you know, music, drinks, we're I'm sitting on his lap, we're taking pictures, great night. I do think drugs were involved. I, I think he did do cocaine that night. Um, and at the time I blamed it on that, you know, once he turned and got mean, I was like, oh, well, you know, he must've done drugs. And I guess that can make you very irritable and very mean. Maybe he didn't mean it again, just making so many excuses for him. So we're at this party, we come back home, we're laying in bed and we were silent. We were going to sleep out of nowhere. He turns his head and get, and says, get the fuck out of my bed. And I was like, what? Like, what do you mean? What's wrong? And he goes, get out of my bed. Get out. I don't want you here. Leave. Like kicking me out of the house. Mind you, we've been drinking. Mind you, it's winter. Mind you, it's the middle of the night. And I was just so shocked. I was like, you know, again, they say the, the black in his eyes, right? He looked like he had no soul in him. He just was like, get out. Like just completely turned. So this is where it gets a little foggy, but I remember somehow we got up out of the bed. I remember I kicked him like in the stomach and he landed like on the bed, on the wall. This got him mad. Somehow I ended up over his shoulder and he brought me across the hall to his roommate's room. His roommate was at work. His roommate is a cop, by the way. Um, And he threw me over his shoulder And I landed on the floor. And at this point, I was just shocked. I was like, you know, because again, we were drinking. I I just, it just happened so fast. I was like, did this really happen? Like he just threw me over his shoulder and I landed on the floor. Like, ow, this hurts. Like what is going on? 
So he throws me. I then have a huge bruise on my leg. The side, I can't explain how big this bruise was. Then, you know, he's just, I, I'm thinking, I'm just trying to calm him down because I'm thinking he's drunk. He's on drugs. Let me just calm him down and I'll sleep on the couch. We'll sleep it off. Um, but he had another plan. So, you know, he's just yelling for me to leave, leave. He starts now, um, I'm, I'm trying to stall him. He starts throwing my belongings down the stairs, telling me to get the F out, you know, physically kicking me out of the house. So at this point, I'm screaming, I'm crying. I'm just so hurt and shocked that he is acting this way. And I said, what about the trip? We're, we're leaving next week for, for a trip. Like, why are you doing this? Because at the time, you know, I always equated fighting to breaking up. I always thought, you know, this is him getting rid of me. He's done with me. This is over. I'm never going to see or talk to him again. I, I always thought that. So he goes, I don't care about the damn trip. You go. He writes me a check for his half because, of course, I paid for it um, on my credit card. And then he was going to give me half. He writes me the check. He throws it. He goes, take the money. Go by yourself. Kicks me out. So this was, you know, the start of a lot of times in our relationship and a lot of things that I feared, which was kicking me out of the house. You know, whenever he felt like it, whenever he just was in a bad mood or whatever, he would kick me out. So that was the first time I got kicked out of the house. At this point, I mean, again, I, I'm, I'm shaken up. I don't know what to do. I know I can't drive an hour home. Um, I know I don't want to. And, and that was the sad thing about it, which I'm sure a lot of people can relate to. Although this person was the one hurting me, he was the only person I wanted to take all the pain away. And it just didn't make sense why, hey, you're hurting me, but take it all away. So I ended up calling the roommate, who's my friend, and I, I obviously didn't tell him everything that happened, but I said, we got into an argument and he's drunk. He's acting so strange and he kicked me out. I have nowhere to go. Can you help me? So I met him down the road at a parking lot because he was on shift. He's a cop. He's doing the overnight shift. We go back to the apartment. I mean, he's treating this like a real investigation. I mean, it's his apartment too. He's coming in. He's doing the flashlight. He's making sure it's safe. He's trying to see where my ex is. Um, he's checking every corner. You know, he's just completely doing an investigation of the house. He ends up putting me, at this point, my ex is sound asleep. And that was something that really hurt me and pissed me off. I'm like, here I am. I'm heartbroken. I'm crying. I'm so sad. And he's just locked in the bedroom snoring. No care in the world. He has no, he did not care. I'm out there. He doesn't care. So he's sleeping. Um, him, my friend ends up locking me in his bedroom. And I slept the night there. So I, I, to this day, I don't think my ex knows that that night I was sleeping across the hall from him, although he kicked me out and I obviously didn't have a good night's sleep. And I woke up that day at like six in the morning and left early. I, I crept out of the house so he wouldn't hear that I was there. And I went to my sister's apartment because she also went to the same school as me. And she, yeah, I went over and I mean, I think I told her we got in a fight, but I didn't obviously tell her the, the details and, you know, we, we talked and then noon rolls around and he calls me. Of course I, I get all excited. He's calling and he acts like it did not happen. He's just asking me a random question, you know, Hey, did 
so-and-so leave his phone in your car from last night? And I'm like, no, like, like, I'm like, I'm going over there. We need to talk. So I go over and he just is sitting up in his bed on his computer and he was just so calm and he just acted like the whole thing didn't happen. I was like, hello, do you remember last night? Like, what is going on? He goes, what are you talking about? I said, what am I talking about? And I show him the bruise on my leg. This is where it gets a little hazy. I think he said, I don't see anything. And I'm like, what do you mean you don't see anything? I have a black and blue bruise on the side of my leg that is humongous. Of course you see it. That's not from me. So again, gaslighting. At this time, I've never experienced this, so I had no idea. So of course I say, well, is it a big deal? Was it just a drunken fight? Was this a one-time thing? You know, was he on drugs and he didn't know what he was doing? Um, So he denies it, probably barely says sorry. Um, And then that day we go on with our day and everything's fine. And we go to his hometown and out to lunch and to his family's house. So, yeah, that was definitely the first fight, the first time, you know, verbal, verbal, uh, physical abuse happened. And and definitely the first moment I, I keep going back to. You know, when, when speaking about, you know, devaluation, you know, obviously that was one thing. It was always something, right? It was, what are you wearing? What are, the, what are those shoes? What, what, your clothes are weird. Um, your hair is weird. You know, anything I made to eat, um, he didn't like. It stinks. He was someone that didn't eat fruits and vegetables. You know, he was a meat and rice type of guy. Um, and I'm someone that I love vegetables. So if I ever were to make something, he's just complaining. You're stinking up my house, you know, talking about my hair. You know, if I'd get a haircut and come back home, be like, hey, you know, he'd be like, oh, it's too short. Or, you know, why are you dyeing it? You know, I, I like brunettes. Why do, why do you always get highlights? You're, you're a fake blonde. Um, it's just one thing after another. I could never do anything right. So... When these things are happening, this is like a constant, you can't do anything right in nitpicking situation. Are you doing your best to be as small as possible in a way? Like, how are you reacting uh, internally and are your actions changing because of all the nitpicking because it seems like you know you know in a lot of cases people are like oh i'm waiting for the other shoe to drop but in yours it sounds like you don't have to wait it's always dropping yeah yeah it was mostly always dropping and then if he were to ever be nice it was more so like oh wow like he's being nice he you know that's more shocking than how his normal behavior is um i would say i just it was like a science project. It just, I was always just trying to figure out what does he like? What doesn't he like? What can I do to make his life better? What can I do to not be an annoyance? Cause I always just felt like I was there. I always just felt like I was an annoyance to him or I was a nuisance or everything I did was just this huge frustration to him. So it got to points where, I got to a point, and I mean, I, I kind of hate to say this, but I used to think to myself, if you can just keep going, if you can just 
you know, go down the straight line, right? And don't ever make mistakes, basically, or, you know, don't go out of line or don't do anything that will upset him. You'll be okay. You'll be safe. Just have to check off these boxes and just keep going. You know, I was, I was so hooked and I, I always just, because of course you see the, the nice moments, right? So I always just thought he's someone that's immature. He's obviously selfish, but he'll change. You know, I know he'll get to a point where we'll be older and everyone around us will be settling down and he'll do the same thing. He'll get there. And that's what I told myself. I, I always told myself that it will get better, you know, just keep going. Um, there were times that I told myself that, you know, it sounds, I hate to say this too, but, you know, life is short, you know, would you rather go through heartbreak over this person? Cause I physically, I honestly thought if we ever broke up, I would tell my friends, I will end up in a mental institute. I thought I would go absolutely insane if, if, if we weren't together, if I wasn't able to see him or be with him. So I would think to myself, well, everyone has issues, you know, just get by, you know, be with this person and then everyone ends up dying anyway. So it doesn't matter in the end, you know, that's how low to a point I, I got throughout the relationship and how I thought. Um, so, yeah, nitpicking everything. Um, there was a time, you know, and it, it was always about how I ate too. You know, I, I'm someone with a slice of pizza. I like to either fold it or pull it apart. I just, that's how I eat it. He would always, well, why are you doing that? You know, why are you eating it like that? You're disgusting. Um, there was a time that, and mind you, all my friends didn't like him. They all had their moments where they had a good moment or interaction with him. But as the years went on, the, you know, the main consensus was this guy's an asshole and he treats you like shit. So that was another thing. I was always focused on trying to get everyone to approval on him or for them to like him. Um, there was one time my friend, my two friends stayed over um, the apartment and we went out and, you know, we we're having a good night. And the next morning we went to a cafe to grab a coffee and, and bagel. And he, in front of my friends, starts screaming, why are you doing that? Why are you putting the, the, the cream cheese on a bagel like that? Like, hurry up, you know, just completely freaking out on me. And my friends were like, leave her alone. She's not doing anything. She's, you know, buttering her bagel. Like, what is it to you? You know? So it's just, it was just moments like this where I just, like, everything I did, I just had to think in my head, how is he going to react to this? How is he going to handle this? And it would always be, you know, I, I, I knew his, I knew his every move, right? I, I studied him so much that I could just tell when he was going to freak, what he was going to say half the time. But the times that I didn't expect it, those were the scariest, you know, because I would just be like, what do you mean? You know, we'd be out to breakfast and if I, you know, he ate really fast and so do I, but he eats faster. If he would be done his meal, he would say, well, I'm leaving, you know, you need to hurry up. I was like, can we just have a nice breakfast and, and talk? Like, why is it such a rush? Why, why do I need to, you know, eat this so fast just to leave? So there was just, there was so much control. It was just, I used to always say, you know, it's John's world and we're just living in it. You know, it's just everything. He called all of the shots to the point where 
I couldn't make a decision to, to save my life. And everything, every move I've made, even if it didn't involve him, if he said no, the answer was no. And, you know, it, it was almost like you look to him as a father, right? A fa- if a father says no, you don't do it. And, and that's, and I listened because I didn't feel like hearing him bitch. I didn't feel like him getting mad or mean. Um, so that, that's something else I, I definitely had to deal with. There was a lot of financial abuse, which I didn't realize until after the fact when I was trying to put all the pieces together. You know, he he always he, he came from money. He always had more money than I did, yet somehow I ended up paying for essentially everything. Um, there was a time in our relationship where, because we only officially lived together for one year before before we broke up. All the years prior to that, it was just me at the apartment, at their place, um, and kind of just, you know, there for a few nights. So when he ended up moving, he moved to a town closer to the city we worked in. And I remember we were at the dinner. I was like, this is your moment. Because all I wanted was stability. All I wanted was to feel safe and to feel like I could call this place my home too I just I never felt welcomed I always felt like by him that I was just kind of tagging along or at any point in time you know he could get mad and tell me to leave in the middle of the night as as I just explained in one example so we were out to dinner one night and I said hey listen I know we're not ready to do our own apartment yet and move in and do all of that but we both work in the same city you know, my ha- my parents' house is very far away from the city, and your apartment is very close to the city. I said, why don't – I'm already there pretty much the entire week. I might be home two, three nights tops. I said, why don't I pay you rent under the table? You know, we can discuss an amount. I'll pay you each month, and this will help out with, you know, the groceries or any of your bills. Well, that was my first mistake. Looking back, it definitely was not fair, you know, so him and uh, the roommate were splitting it down the middle, and I don't remember exactly what it was. Let's just say it was 900 right? And then I was giving him 350 on the side. The other friend did not know this. That's not fair, right? But I did that to feel secure, and I did that because I thought, well, if I'm paying, he can't kick me out. He can't do any of this stuff because I'm paying to be here. So, you know, he took that gladly, right? I mean, I feel like most people are like, oh, of course not. Like, you're my girlfriend. I want you to be here. Like, we'll get our apartment, you know, soon and we'll do all of that. Like, don't pay me, you know? So it just, it, it never was something that he, he never thought of me. He never thought, hey, is this going to put her in a bad position? Um, and, and it still didn't mean anything to him. He still would kick me out. He still would do the silent treatments. That money meant nothing. And I, you know, there would be times I'd be at work out of nowhere and he would text me, don't come over. And I was like, well, what do you mean? Don't come over. Like, cause we had a schedule, right? A schedule that he made. You're here these days. You go home these days. There, there was no question about it. And he would say things like, you wake me up in the morning. I don't want to listen. I don't want to deal with your bullshit. I want a good night's sleep. Don't come over. And I would just, you know, this would just send me into a spiral. Because again, I'm thinking, he's getting rid of me. He's sick of me. He's throwing me to the curb. And I would just completely spiral. 
And in these moments, I mean, I was just a wreck. I was just sending novels and novels and, and, and he just wouldn't respond. And I would just try to get him to understand. And although he was doing this, I just wanted him to just listen and, and understand. And, you know, there'd be times too, where I didn't expect him to throw this at me when I'm at work. I left things there, you know, things I needed. So, you know, it just, it was always on his clock, right? Whatever he felt like doing that day, he did. I was always going to him, right? Always going to, to his family events. Every holiday, you know, I, we did not live close to each other. Maybe an hour and a half, maybe even two hours. I would go to my family events and then I would drive up to him. Never once did he come to my family event. And as the years went on, you know, my family would be like, why doesn't he come here? Like, you guys are adults now. Like, this is what you do. If you get married, you have to split up the holidays. You can't just always go to him. Um, but, you know, him and his mother would be like, oh, well, he has to. This is what we do. You know, his grandfather isn't going to be around forever. He has to come. I'm like, I have grandparents, too. They're not going to live forever either. You know, why am I just going to to you all the time? Um you know, back to the, the financial abuse, I always thought, do what he says, do what he demands, and it will be okay. If he says he wants you to go pick up this, go pick it up and do it, because this will make him happy. And he knew that. He knew I would do whatever he asked. You know, anything he's told me to do, I did it. You know, and it, it sounded like little things at the time until you look back and it's like, did he do that for me? Did he ever come home with a bottle of wine and say, hey, I, I saw this and I thought of you? You know, it just was always the other way around. It would be things as small as go pick up my pizza. And if I would be on the train coming home, I would say, well, hey, there, there's an issue with the train. Like I'm, I'm running late. What? Are you serious? My pizza's going to be cold. How, you know, just freaking out on me because, because the train was broken. I'm like, what do you want from me? I, I can't control the train. You know, it's just everything out of my power I couldn't control. He just didn't understand. It's almost like he thought I wasn't human. And I was just this robot that whenever he snapped his fingers, I just had to be where he wanted me to be, do what he wanted me to do. We, on the weekends, he required me to go and get him donuts at Dunkin' Donuts and go to, you know, the local CVS and grab him a monster, you know, great diet, right? And if I didn't do that, and if I didn't do it fast enough, I heard about it. Um, it was so bad to the point that, you know, he would mumble things under my under his breath, like, you know, the C word, right? And I'm like, are you serious? Why are you calling me that? And then expecting me to just hop in the car and go get your breakfast, um, and, and mind you, I mean, did he ever do that for me? Right. Did he ever wake up on a Saturday and surprise me with, you know, breakfast in bed or whatever? No, never. So, you know, I was just always putting what he needed first, you know, so I don't like Dunkin' Donuts. I'm more of a Starbucks drinker. I couldn't even get his donuts and everything he needed and go pick up a coffee and bring it back because I was taking too long. So I would go and get all of his stuff done. I would drop it off, you know, literally hand it to him in bed, he would just grab it and then, you know, kind of like shoo me away. Like, all right, off with your day, like literally, and just not talk to me. And then I would go back out and get my coffee because I couldn't do it in the same trip because that would take too long. You know, there would be times where 
I'm at the grocery store and if he tells me to get something and say they didn't have it, I'm in a complete panic. I'm like running up and down the aisles. I'm, do you have this, you know, asking the the people that work at the grocery store, they're like, no, you know, I'm sorry, we, we ran out or whatever. I would go to store to store just to find this one item just so he wouldn't freak out um, or get mad. And there were times where I did say, hey, like, I know you want X, Y, and Z, but they said they don't have it today. Oh, well, you should have left earlier. And if you would have left earlier, it would have been there. You, w- you waited way too long and it's your fault, you know, essentially. And I remember after you know, looking back on like starting to put the puzzle pieces together and learning about narcissism. And that was one of the examples, you know, the grocery store. And I was like, Oh my God, like that happens to me too. Like, I I cannot believe like this is so textbook. We couldn't even go grocery, uh, grocery shopping together because he was just in there. You know, he's always in a bad mood. He's just going quickly, getting what he needs. Again, we eat very differently. I don't just eat Cheez-Its and, and steak and, and rice, right? I, I like to have, you know, healthy foods. We like different things. I could never in the same trip get what I needed. He'd be like, you're taking too long. You don't need to get this. You're, you're putting bullshit in the carriage. Um, so I would, again, acting like a two-year-old, right? A, a two-year-old having a tantrum in the, in the store. So I would say, fine. Let's get what you need. I would drop them off and I would come back out and get what I needed. You know, these were all things that were not normal. And I knew that. But I just thought, hey, this is just how he is. He's so frustrating. He's so annoying. And I'm obviously a bigger person and I'm obviously more mature. So if I have to shuffle things around to make him happy, fine, I'll do it. Um, He was a very simple guy. To the point, what I mean by that is he he didn't do much. He didn't have much friends, many friends. He came home, he ate dinner, you know, he'd have his beers and he'd sit in his chair and watch television. And he would sit in his chair and put his hands up in the air and just snap his fingers. And that would mean, go get me a beer. You know, I was like a dog, you know, like, come here, little doggy, go get what I want. I would be upstairs and I would hear him snapping and he would text me and just say two. And that means two beers. You know, I, I did it for a while. And then I just, I just remember opening the fridge one day. I'm like, who are you? Like, you're just like a doormat to this guy. You know, he, this is not the guy that was buying you roses and writing this love letter to you about how much they like you and how important you are to them. You're a doormat and everyone knows it. Um, You know, so that he would snap, he would, let's see, I'm trying to think of other, you know, the other financial abuse, because that was a big thing. He would make me get a certain credit card that um, you had to, you know, pay the whole thing in full. At this point, you know, I'm young, right? I'm in my young young 20s. I wasn't the greatest with money in the beginning, and it was really hard for me to save, because at any point in time, he would just you know, demand these orders, go get this, go get that, pick up that. And it started to add up, you know, it's like, all right, sure. A pizza here, a 30 pack of beer there. You know, there were times throughout the week that he was just crushing beers. I'm like, you're going through 60 beers in a week. Like this is too much money. I can't afford this. You know, he would tell me, oh, I'll give you the money when you get back. And then wouldn't, or I'll Venmo you. And then wouldn't, 
towards the end of the relationship, there was this time because he was also a big gambler. Like he would love to gamble on sports and, and do all of that. Um, Bitcoin. I didn't know what Bitcoin was. I still don't really get what it is. He would at any point in time, you know, I would walk through the door and he would say, give me $500. And I, I would be like, what? You know, like send me for 500. I'll Venmo you right away. Like my Bitcoin app or cash app, whatever it was, is not linked to my bank. It won't let me do it. And he would do this several times in a week, 500 here, 200 there, 300 the next day. I'm like, do you think I'm just made of money? Like I, I pay my bills. I have a little extra, you know, at the time to do for spending money. And it was just all going to him. And if I didn't do that, he would freak out on me. Um, there was a time I was at work and he texts me, send me, you know, $500. And he's sending me this code and do all of this. And it wasn't working. I didn't know how to work the thing. So I'm sending back. I'm like, hey, like, I'm at work. Like, I'm busy. Do it now. Okay. So, I'm, you know, I'm trying to do it. It's not working. He freaked out on me. He's like, are you a fucking idiot? How dense in the head are you? Literally type in this number that I'm sending you. And I'm like, I am. It's not working. He freaked. He told me, do it now or kill yourself. That was also something he told me a lot, kill myself. Um, you know, just calling me every name in the book, screaming. You know, now at this point, I'm in a panic, right? I'm like asking people I work with, asking these guys I work with, hey, do you guys know anything about this? Can, like, he, my boyfriend wants me to do this. Like, you know, I'm just panicking. They're like, oh, I'm sorry. Like, I don't know what that is. I don't know how to do it. Um you know, just completely freaking out. I think somehow I ended up doing, figuring it out. And then, you know, doesn't even say, I'm like, I'm helping you out. You're asking me for money and you're going to yell at me, you know, while I'm at work. You know, so he, he did that. And then I'm driving home. He calls me, Hey, so I'm, I'm thinking about uh, pizza tonight. You want to grab a pizza? I'm like, Hey, I'm like, do you remember you freaking out at me? Well, if you would just listen to what I said, then we wouldn't have any issues. You know, there was never a sorry. It just, it just whatever he wanted, whatever he needed, that's what he would get in that moment. Um, and that, you know, those are just some examples, but you know, the, the list goes on and on. So this abuse, the financial part is pretty heavy and he is, um, being, what's the best word, um, bratty and entitled and at the same time, uh, controlling, you know, it's kind of like a combination maybe of, uh, all three, if that's fair to say. And, you know, he's doing this and you are agreeing to it. Where are you mentally at this point? I mean, at the beginning when, you know, after the year mark, he had you, you know, he really had you in that web of pulling things away, um, you know, the future faking and giving the future back. And now you're here in this spot. All of this financial abuse is happening. It's pretty disgusting, the kind of the way he kind of goes about it. He just, he doesn't care at all all like there's no care involved here so where are you mentally like are you a puddle like how are you functioning barely 
I mean, I'm barely functioning. I feel like at this point, I'm just kind of going through the motions. I mean, every day, I mean, they say you're you're just in survival mode, and that's what I was doing. Every day, I was just trying to get by, get through the day, get through the week. Um, you know, just, again, everything was just focused on him, and, and never once did I even, th- I knew what I wanted, and I knew what I didn't want. But it just wasn't even a thought in my head. I was just so hyper-focused on this person that I, thinking about what I needed was never a thought. And I, and if it was, I, I would never try to fuel that or, or do anything for myself because it was just focused on him. Are you crying a lot? Like, are you having, like, are you talking to yourself or like having these conversations out loud with yourself? Like, what are you doing? What's going on? Or is this just, or just kind of... You're automatic at this point. I was, yeah, I was definitely crying a lot. I mean, crying at work, crying in the car, crying at home. Um, it wasn't. It, I wasn't really talking to myself like, "What are you doing?" At this point, I was so into it. I was just, "What can you do to make this better? What can you do to make this, um, you know, a better experience to make him happier?" Because I just kept thinking, if I just keep doing what he wants or maybe even going above and beyond, he will appreciate me. He, it's all I wanted from him. I did so much for him, you know, as little as going to get donuts for him every weekend, uh, to giving him $250, to going to a wedding that I just wanted him to appreciate me. I wanted him to say, you know, thank you so much, or you do so much for me, or you care so much. I never got that. It's just he had this arrogance about him that he just did not give a shit and then if i ever were to get you know mad or whatever then he would give me the breadcrumbs and and i would just keep you know oh yay you know he didn't leave so he loves me that's all i kept going back to and did anyone in your life notice that you might have been a shadow of your former self yeah they definitely did um I mean, pretty much everyone in my life, my closest friends, my family, even my coworkers that at the time didn't even know him. Just the stories I would say, they're like, what? Like, what do you mean? You know, it's just everyone was like this. You deserve better, you know? So I'd always have these conversations with people. I'm like, no, but I mean, you know, he's a big teddy bear, right? He, he might, you know, I always just made excuses for him. Like, and then if he ever did do anything nice, right, of course I was highlighting that. I remember talking to people after the fact, you know, anyone I could hear. I just wanted to know, what did you guys think of this relationship? What did you think of me? You know, when it first ended, I was just in this discovery mode of trying to figure everything out. And, you know, people said, it seemed like you were trying to display a life that wasn't real. Like, we could just tell online you were just putting up this front and, you know, just making it sound like things were way better than they were. You know, people would say, why do you only post pictures of you guys from the beginning stages, you know? And that's because we didn't take pictures as time went on. You know, the first year, two years, um, you know, we took a lot of pictures and you know, we did a lot of things and I, as the years went on, we'd keep going back and reposting those photos because that was the happy time. You know, I, I didn't want to show a photo now because one, we didn't take them. He wouldn't allow it. You know, he physically did not want to take a picture with me as time went on. 
So another part of this was silent treatments. And these were the, the kicking out of the house and the silent treatments. Those are what I feared the most. Um, I was always afraid that this was going to come up again. Um, and that's why part of me wanted to rush things so much and just move in together officially. Cause I knew once we lived together officially, you can't kick me out. It's my house too. I pay the rent. I pay the bills. All my stuff is there. I have a key. That's another thing I can get into in a minute about having a key. Um, so yeah, the silent treatments, I didn't know what it was at the time. Again, not until probably this podcast or other podcasts as well, where I learned what silent treatments are and how they are a form of abuse. And I didn't know that. Um, you know, I learned that silent treatments help you to stay focused on them. And that's exactly what it did. Anytime a silent treatment would happen, all I was doing was, what did I do wrong? What, you know, what did I say? How, you know, if I had the battered woman syndrome, if I just didn't do this, this wouldn't have happened. If I just didn't say that, this wouldn't have happened. Uh, again, just completely just, just trying to figure out how do I get back there? Um, I would say the first time a silent treatment happened with us, because again, in the beginning, right, he was pursuing me. He was texting me. He was calling me. He, he was reaching out first. Very early on in the relationship, I would say, I don't know exactly when this was, a year, two years in, honestly, probably a year at this point. Again, he was in his master's, so he was still living in the town where we went to school. You know, he was busy, right? He had his master's degree. He was still going to football, so he was doing that. And I was in my first real girl, you know, big girl job. So we were texting one night, and then all of a sudden, he stopped. I was like, okay, he fell asleep. Next day rolls around, nothing. This is the first time just I did not hear from him. Like, no, nothing, no response, no text, not answering me. I think it then bled into the next day. I don't know if it was two days or three days, whatever it was, just, you know, no communication. And I was like, did I do something wrong? Like, did I say something? Like, I'm just going through the, the motions in my head and trying to replay the night before and, and just trying to figure out what happened. What, what did I do? So at this point, I think I made up an excuse saying like, Oh, I'm, I'm getting dinner with my sister and friend in the town and I'm going to stop by. I just want, you know, I was trying to act so cool. Right. Like, although he was my boyfriend, I, I always felt like I had to just put on this front, you know, like I, I'm going to stop by. I'm in town. I, you know, I haven't heard from you in a few days. Like I'm going to see what's going on. So I said that just so I didn't show up unannounced. Um, and I remember driving to where his class was that night. And I saw his car there. I was like, okay, so he's at class. Because because at this point, it was so early on and this was so new that part of me was like, is he okay? Like, is, is something wrong? Like, why he's not talking to me? So I waited till his class was over and I went over there and I'm knocking on the door and I remember he opens the door. He kind of looks at me like I'm a crazy person. Like, what are you doing here? Like what? And I just remember kind of pushing him forward in the door to let me in because I was so afraid that he was just going to close the door and, and, and close me out. So I remember pushing him through and just being like, what, why aren't you talking to me? Like, what is going on? And he's like, he shows me his phone his phone is completely broken. The screen is cracked. Like you can't see any messages. He goes, 
my phone's broken. Right there and then, I, I was like, okay, he, he, he makes sense. He has an excuse. His phone was broken. That's why he couldn't call me. But then thinking back, I was like, there are so many other ways you could have gotten in contact with me. One being our mutual friend that we share. You know, he could have had him text me and say, hey, his phone's broken. Um, you live on Twitter. You could have DM'd me and said, you know, hey, my phone is broken. You know, it's just like he assumed that I just knew exactly what was going on and I could read his mind. And because he had proof or some example or excuse, it made it okay. So, you know, I, I just let it go because I was like, oh, his phone died or broke. You know, he doesn't, he's getting a new one. That's why he didn't talk to me. Um, you know, and that was the, the first time I noticed a silent treatment. And then I went home and I get a DM, right? Because his phone's broken. I love you. Okay, so the bread comes and that's all I needed. That's, you know, the, after the silent treatment, a little bit of love or anything he could give me, I'm fine. It, out the window. There was a time that, I mean, this happened a lot, honestly, but there was a time that we were at his apartment, again, obviously, because I'm always there. I was washing the dishes, and he came up behind me, and he had a water bottle. And he kind of, like, dropped water on my head, like, guess being funny, trying to be playful and make a joke. Um, so I remember being like, ah, you know, kind of laughing, and I thought we were playing too. And I took the dirty sponge that I was cleaning with, and I kind of, like, flung it, right? So the, the water, like, flung out in the air, and it hit him, and it got all over him. And he looked at me like I just shot someone. You know, he was so you know, taken back that I threw water on him, even though he did it first. He run. he kind of walks up fast to me. He slaps me on the back of the head hard, kind of like, again, like a dog. How dare you? You know, shoo. How could you do that to me? Slaps me in the back of the head. I'm like, how? Like, why did you freaking hit me in the back of the head? Freaks out on me, pushes me out of the house again, um, and didn't talk to me for days after that. So, of course, I'm a wreck, right? I'm driving home. I'm calling my best friend. I'm bawling my eyes out. I, I tell her what happened. I honestly, I think I suppressed the hitting on the head because it wasn't until recently I started to think back of this that I was like, wait, there's more to this story. He hit me in the head. Um, so I just remember driving, and I just did this drive all the time, you know, just bawling my eyes out. When am I going to talk to him again? You know, if I just didn't do that, he wouldn't have you know, done this, if I just would have, you know, back to that whole thing. Um, I think this was the time to, because I think this was a, yeah, this was a Friday night. So I was so mad, like, oh, I ruined the weekend. Like I could have had a whole weekend with him and it's Friday and I'm driving back and crying. So I remember laying in my bed and, you know, just bawling my eyes out, just so heartbroken, so sad over this. My dad um, went out with his his buddies for a beer. Um, and he comes home and I think he heard me crying or I, I think he was just shocked. I was home because he knew I was supposed to spend the weekend there. I, at this point I couldn't hide it. I just, you know, I was crying, he lays in bed next to me, kind of holding me. Like, he's like, this is not right. He goes, a man that loves a woman does not treat someone this way. And it was so heartbreaking to hear my dad say that because I knew he was right. And I, I grew up, I saw how he treated my mother. 
And I saw that, you know, she was allowed to be who she was and they didn't fight. And if they did, it was a stupid little annoyance and it never got bad. It never got nasty. It never got cruel. And I just remember, you know, just feeling so hopeless in that moment. Like, oh my God, like my dad knows, like he just, he knows how he is. And, um, you know, everything he's saying is just so hard to hear. Um, you know, and as time went on, my parents definitely started to put the puzzle pieces. I mean, I don't think they knew about everything, um, but they had a good idea because he wasn't he wasn't one of those narcissists that was just, you know, you couldn't really tell. Right. Like, oh, they're just so nice. And they're this and that. Like, he always had an attitude. Right. So people knew that he was just difficult. People knew he was very selfish. Um and, you know, the, these different stories just came up throughout the years. So that was that was always difficult that my family started to believe that or, or not just believe it, but see it and kind of figure things out as well. So I guess fast forward a little bit, because, I mean, these stories I can tell, I mean, I would say they're different, but, you know, they're they're all kind of the same at, at the same time. I mean, at this point, I'm. I'm lost, right? I'm, I'm trying to find my way. I just, I so badly just want to move in. I, and I think to myself, if we could just move in, things will get better because we'll be able to communicate. And if he gets mad, he'll be able to talk to me about it, opposed to just not talking to me for, for days. Oh, I guess, sorry, if I can back up to that last story with the sponge. Um, you know, we didn't talk for days. Um I was a wreck. I did not eat. I did not sleep. I was at work. I'm just crying. I mean, everyone's like, what is wrong with her? You know, I was just so worked up. My family saw it. You know, it just, it was, it was so embarrassing. Um, Finally, I think Wednesday rolls around and I was like, you know what? I'm done. I'm going over there. You know, because at this time, again, I'm paying him rent, but he just kicks me out and doesn't knock me for days and is not responding. And I'm, sending him these novels like can we just talk can we be adults and have a conversation we've been dating for probably at this point now three years right we've been dating three years how can you just not talk to me how do you not care and that always boggled my mind i'm like how does this person not give a shit like he just is sitting there getting these messages and just literally not responding and not caring um so at, the, at this point, I'm, I'm like, I need to go over there. I can't live like this anymore. I'm done. And I had these moments throughout the relationship where I would get kind of the confidence to, you know, just end it. And then, of course, never did. Um, so one of my best friends was like, I'm going to drive you over there. Go in, get your stuff. Let's be done with this. So I'm like, okay, all right, let's do this. So I finally text him and I'm like, hey, like, Obviously, my things are over there. I need to come over and get my stuff. I didn't expect you to not talk to me for days. I'm coming over tonight. I'll be there at 8. So I get there. Uh, he opens the door. He has this very calm, calm, cool, collected, you know, attitude, you know, where he lets me in. Hey, how are you? I'm like, at this point, I'm like trying to be all tough. I'm like, good. You know, so I walk in. I storm in. I start to pack. You know, I'm grabbing boxes. I'm grabbing my stuff. I'm. Um, obviously I, at this point, I don't know if I'm actually going to go through with it, but I'm trying to make it known. I'm pissed. I'm not doing this anymore. So he goes, let's, let's just sit down, sit down. Let's just talk. Let's just talk. So I sit down and I remember looking around the apartment. I'm like, 
why does it look so different in here? Why is the apartment so clean and so organized? And, you know, he hung up things that he's been meaning to hung up and, you know, the, the floor is swept and, you know, just, it just looks so neat and tidy. And I remember thinking that was so weird, you know, like, did he just have a moment and need to be by himself and clean? I don't know, you know, so I just remember noticing that. And he goes on, because again, he probably got nervous I was going to leave. So what does he do? He gives me breadcrumbs. And he goes, I, I don't talk to you during these times because I'm just so mad. I don't want to say anything I'll regret. And I don't want to do anything that I'll regret. So I have to just shut down and be by myself for a few days. He right? So he says that. I'm looking around the house. I'm like, okay, his story's adding up. He needs to be alone. He wanted to just clean the house and be by himself. Like, okay, this is starting to make sense. Um, so he just like, he spoke about it in a way where, you know, I, I just started to think maybe this is how he is. Like, I know it's not normal. I know it's not normal behavior, but maybe this is just how he is. He hits walls and he doesn't want to be mean or, you know, say bad things to me. So he shuts down. He's by himself for a few days and then he comes back to his senses. Um, and then he goes on to say, you know, I I just, I, I don't want you to move out. Like, I, I really think by next year, like, we're moving. We're going to be moving out together. We're going to get our own place. You know, so ding, ding, ding. That's what I'm looking to hear. Um, so it was just, again, it's like once he came around and once we were finally able to talk, it's like I, I forgot why I was mad. And that happened a lot. You know, in the moment, he wouldn't talk to me. And if he did, it would be 30 seconds of a conversation before he would shoot me away and be done with it. So when I was finally days later after fights being, you know, being able to sit there and I guess half have a conversation with him. It's like everything just threw out the window, you know, got thrown out the window. Um, and that was that was part of the cycle. It's like I, I know I didn't like that i hated that but i think in a sick way i was just so addicted to it because you know the highs are high the low are low um and i i remember i honestly think that night too he got me to sleep with them and you know i just remember doing it i'm like i i can't this feels so wrong like how does he just get away with everything and how does it always just come back around like i was so sad all week and I didn't eat and I didn't sleep and I called a therapist for the first time and he just didn't care so I remember leaving that night and I was on cloud nine you know I walk outside I have a, a smile ear to ear and my friend kind of looks at me like well did you break up with them like what is going on and I'm like no we talked about it and you know I just again made excuses downplayed and she just kind of rolled her eyes. And, and then the next day, you know, he's back to himself, right, of texting me good morning, letting me know he's in work. And I just remember feeling on top of the world, being like, yep, we're back. We're good. We're, we're back on. So how many Hoover cycles did you go through until the end actually happened? Yeah, so I mean, I guess the the real answer to that, right, is is five years worth. Um, but at this point in the story, um, I would say it was another two ish years of Hoover's back and forth um, before before the the end of the end. 
Um, so I guess fast forward two years forward, um, you know, obviously at this point we're officially living together and, you know, I, I walked into it telling myself, you know, if, if things don't change, like this is it, you, you move in, if things still don't go get better, then, you know, um, it was, it was pretty much a trial period for me. Um, and I would say, you know, the, the end of the end was when, at this point, I was gaining more confidence with my with myself. Um, you know, I think I, I might have mentioned I I was getting my confidence at work. You know, I was good at my job. I, I was praised there, um, and I just got to the point where I just didn't want to go home anymore. I, I I knew when I went back, it was such a cold and and evil environment. Um, and when I was at work or when I was with my friends, I, I just felt happy. So I felt like I was living two lives. Uh, I mean, mind you, my work was about over an hour from my house. My family was over an hour from where I was living at the time with them. So I was just so isolated up there. And I, I just remember, you know, driving back and, you know, I, I just felt so, I felt so much peace when I was in the car by myself, listening to podcasts and just you know, in my head, I guess, and just thinking, and, you know, I would go back to the house after work, and it was just, it was so cold in there. Um, you know, he used to say, you know, you're acting like a, a bull in the china shop coming in, and, you know, I just felt like the second I opened the door, I had to literally tiptoe around him. You know, half the time, he wouldn't even look up. I mean, seriously, I'd be walking in, and, um, you know, he would just be sitting in his chair, and, you know, barely could just you know, look up and say hello. Um, so, you know, I just, I just was got, I got sick of going home to that. Um, I was constantly comparing myself to everyone around me and just seeing how, you know, in a relationship, you know, you go home and that's your person. How was your day? This is what happened. You know, you're supposed to confide in them, be your best friend. And, you know, I, again, I don't want to say out of the movies, but I just, I saw my parents had that. I saw my friends had that. And I just, started to wonder why don't I um so I mean there were obviously you know some some big bumps in the road towards the end which which really led to led to my decision um but I would say I got the strength from just talking to friends listening to podcasts you know there's a reason why I was I was so not so much the narcissist podcast at this point um but just like self-love and relationships and just hearing them and knowing wow my life really just is very, very different than how it should be. You know, one of the last arguments that we had before uh, before I pulled the trigger on the relationship was a stick of butter was thrown at my head um, just due to the fact that I used this the the butter that he was using, and I had to, I happened to have sweet potato on my knife, and he freaked out freaked out and he completely just chucked the stick of butter across the room and slammed me in the head. And yeah, I guess I would say that was, that was the the last straw for me where I was like, I can't, can't keep living like this. This is not normal. Like who, who does this? Who acts like this? Um, You know, the scary thing is, is he was showing me all along, along the way, right. You know, a stick of the butter here, a slap on the head there, you know, the story earlier of, of dropping me on my side, you know, that was all building up to something bigger. And I think at that point I knew that. So, 
Yep, the stick of butter was thrown. You know, an argument happened. It, it it took so much courage for me to do it. You know, it wasn't that night, right? He didn't throw a stick of butter at my head. And then I woke up the next day and broke up with him. This was something I was sitting on for so, so long, like I'm sure a lot of people do. You know, you comp- contemplate, you think, what's going to happen? You know, what will this look like? How do I do it? You know, I, I really didn't know at that point, but I just knew that it, it was almost like I, I mourned the relationship, I would say maybe even like the last two years. And then when it came to that point, I was just so done um, that it was, I was just so numb. I was numb at that point to, to what I had to do. I just knew I had to do it. So the next day I was working from home. He went to work. Um, and then he comes, you know, in the house, like any old Friday, you know, pack a bear in his hand and tries to act like it never happened, you know, just like, just like he always did. And, you know, trying to make plans for the weekend. And I mean, this was probably, I, I think this was the hardest thing I had to do at this point, but really the aftermath, um, and getting the strength to completely stay away was the hardest. But, um, you know, I sat him down and I just said, I can't do this anymore. I, I can't live like this. You know, it, I, I, in the beginning of us breaking up too, I say beginning because it obviously just didn't end that day, but it's almost like I didn't want him to feel bad. So I, I was wording it in ways of like, it isn't just you, it's us. We both aren't respecting each other. We both aren't, you know, being good partners to one another. I don't know why I played that card, but at the time I thought it was the only way I, I had to do it. But I had to, I had to break the news to him. I said, you know, I can't do this. Um, and he was, he was pretty upset. You know, he completely like stormed out of the house at that point. I didn't know where he went. He was gone maybe an hour. To this day, I don't really know where he went. He said he just drove away or something. Um, and at that point, we still had this was late October. We were still in our apartment until the end of the year. So we still had a little bit of chunk of time that we were living under the same roof. And then from there, I mean, I'm sure like a lot of people on, on this call, I mean, when, when the end happens, I mean, there's there's so many emotions um, and there's so much back and forth after that that I, I, I can't even really begin to describe it. But the first thing I did feel, I'll, I'll be honest with you, was relief. I really did. I felt free. You know, I we broke up, and I just remember going upstairs and just having a glass of wine in my hand and, and texting, like, my best friends. And, you know, I just, I, I just felt free. I had this, like, strength in me that I was just like, yes, like, I can do what I want now. I don't need to just be under this person's control. Um but he, he did everything in the book. I mean, it, it was so textbook. It's not even funny. Um, and, you know, started off with being mean and then sending texts of when to leave the house, when to move out. Again, just telling me everything I had to do. Um, saying that, um, you know, he can't believe that after one argument, you know, I'm, I'm laughing saying this out loud. After one argument, I just decided to, to throw away five years that I'm not giving it a try um, just, just everything. And I, I told him, I'm like, listen, if you really think it's after this one argument, like you, you know, it's not. Um, so I would say, you know, at that point, you know, we were still under the same roof and for a while it almost, you know, we broke up, right? So we're broken up, but
but at the same time, we're still living together. So it almost felt like we were just kind of still doing what we do. And, you know, it just was, it was like, I literally would look at the calendar, just counting down the days, but not in a good way. Like me getting nervous, like, oh my God, like, okay, it's a month away from when, when the lease is done. Oh my gosh, it's two weeks. It's, it's one week. Like I was so afraid of when that day came that that was going to be it, you know, and it was just, it would go back and forth. You know, he would say, this isn't fair. This isn't, and he had a point. Uh, I will say this. He had a point that it's not fair if we're just playing house, pretending like nothing happened. Um, you know, every day he's reminded that things are different, but here we are under the same roof that I understood. So, you know, it was, it was obviously easier to be away from him than when I was there because I felt in the beginning for so long, I felt so bad, you know, and it's just like the reality of it. Someone was just so horrible for me to me for so long. Why was I feeling bad for him? Trauma bonding, right? I, I was trauma bonded to him. Um, everything got flipped and I just felt like literally the worst person in the world. You know, he would come home from work. He just looked like a sad puppy. He's, he's dragging his feet. He's just saying, I'm so sad. I'm so heartbroken. I'm not eating. And he, he again, to this day, I don't know if this was true. Maybe there was some truth to it. I don't know. But, you know, I, I believed him. He did look skinnier. He did look sad. He, he, you know, and I just thought, wow, like maybe he does care. Maybe that he needed a kick in the ass. So, at this point, I really didn't know, like, am I going to go through with this? Or do I just want to, you know, be so strong right now and do it, but then maybe I'll go back to him. So for a very long time, I held the power, and that felt good. That felt good that after all these years that I got that power back. Um, and, you know, I there was one night he, when we were still living together but broken up, he was on a work trip. And I just remember going to Barnes and Nobles. And at this point, I, was, I put the puzzle pieces together, the narcissism. And I wish I remembered how I figured out about it because everyone seems to know, like, oh, so-and-so told me or I heard it here. I don't remember. I really don't know how I came across it. But once I knew, I knew. And I just remember being in um, the, the Barnes and Nobles. I'm sitting in the aisle. I'm just picking up every book possible that I can. Stop walking on eggshells, narcissism, this, that. I, I spent like $180 on books. And I just went home. I'm reading every book. I'm writing down. I'm listening to sad music. I'm having wine. And I'm just like bawling my eyes out. And that was kind of like my moment, I guess. Um, but, you know, towards the beginning of the breakup, you know, he definitely, he just totally turned into an angel. And this surprised me a lot because I really pictured when this day happened that he was just going to be so mean, like cut me off, you know, what I was afraid of the entire relationship and that's it. And really he did the absolute polar opposite. I mean, he was an angel for months. And I remember writing in a journal, I, I still have it to this day, like a really long entry for like a few months of just me writing throughout everything and how I felt. And one thing I said is, I feel more loved by you right now than I have when we were dating. Like that doesn't add up. That doesn't make sense. Like this is not supposed to happen like this. This is how I wanted to be treated. This is how I wanted to feel by him the entire time. And I didn't get that. So, you know, to say the Hoovers, you know, that's an understatement. I mean, flowers sent to work, 
um, love letters written to me. He would sit, he would sit up all night and write these love letters and, and then read it to me the next day. Um, just being so sweet because he was never sweet. You know, he was never kind through text or kind in person. He would call me and, you know, for once I felt so hurt, you know, I'd be driving home from the city back to my parents' house and, you know, he just would literally sit there and listen and ask me how my day was and, you know, ask me questions about me. And I just remember talking out loud. I'm like, oh, wow, he's not interrupting me or he's not hanging up or, you know, he's actually just talking to me and listening. Like all these things, I just was so, so, so shocked that he was doing this. Um, one thing I forgot, I don't know if I'd mentioned this, but I found out through a mutual friend of ours that he was actually that summer prior, he was planning on asking my dad that summer to marry me. And once he got his bonus check from work around the holidays, he was going to do it. So there, again, I, I'm whatever you want to believe in, right? I am a believer that, you know, God or someone out there like told me this, you need to leave now. Like there's a reason why I got that strength in October to leave because he was going to propose to me in December. So I got out in the nick of time. Because the, the reality is, if he would have asked me, I probably would have said yes. And this could be a completely different story right now, you know, if we were engaged. I don't know what would have happened. But, yeah, he was going to propose, and he threw that at me, saying, like, you know, I was going to propose to you. And I, I thought he was just saying it in the moment to make me feel bad until it was confirmed by a mutual friend. which And she would, I know she would not lie to me about that. Like, she wouldn't. Well, one thing I kind of do want to point out here is, you know, yeah. you're doing a really good job of repelling this, the Hoover in the sense of, of what he's doing here, because it is a change of tactic here that you're not used to. And that change of tactic is confusing you. Yeah. And that's really hard to uh, resist uh, going back or, or or just being with him or just prolonging what's happening. And the other thing that I wanted to discuss was when you said that, uh, you know, he, he looked like he was genuine, genuinely sad, um, yeah. which was also confusing, the emotion that he was showing. And I just want, for people listening, you know, someone in, in these situations can show that they are sad and, and, and they can. However, where that sadness comes from is two completely different things. Is he sad for, for you or is he sad for himself? And, you know, is that sadness coming from a, a, like a loss of the relationship and like what it means to both of you? Does that even come into play here? Or is this sadness purely a selfish sadness of uh, like something's being taken away from me? You know what I mean? Yeah. And that's a really big distinction of, you know, you know, this person doesn't like me. I'm going to, uh, or this person's had enough of me. Um, I'm sad because I've got, I've lost, you know, but yeah. is it like, oh, they, they, they're, they don't like me. What's going on with them? Like what's happening there? You know, if I really like them, do I just let them kind of go, I've recognized what I've done. I'm going to go work on myself or do whatever. That's not, that's not in his, um, in his mind right there. Cause, cause technically nothing has really changed. He hasn't gone and done any work. He's just upset for himself. Yeah. And I think I would say too that, and I didn't know this at the time, but 
he's not sad he's losing me. It's not me personally that he's crushed that I'm leaving now. He's sad that he is losing control. Mm -hmm. He is sad that he had someone that he literally could control in every single way, and now that person is walking away. So it's a it's a sense of losing control is what they're sad over, um, not you. So I hope people know out there if they've gone through a similar thing or if you are going through it now, like please don't get tricked. And I hate to say this, you know, I, you know they're not sad over you, but these people they don't see you. They're they see you as objects and they see what can you do for me. And, and that is, that's all it is. It's a lack of control that they're spiraling out of control. Um, but I definitely was confused. It's like, I knew it to some, because at this point I'm starting to put the puzzle pieces together. I kind of know about narcissism. Um, so everything he was doing, I, I kind of knew what he was doing, but at the same time when you're in it, it's so confusing because you're like, well, because then you go back to, I mean, we've been together for so long. And this is, you know, at the time I thought this is my person. Like I, like he knows me, I know him. Like, of course he's sad. So it's, it's, it's an incredibly very, very confusing and emotional time when this is happening. Um, and really what I probably should have done is, you know, you break up and that's it with these people. You're supposed to cut the cord. And I didn't do that. I, I let him in my life for so long after the initial breakup um, that you know, all of these other emotions and things happen when I probably could have just stopped it and, you know, right away. Um, but no, there was a part of me that was loving it, right? Because I wanted this for so long and I, part of me thought, let me ride this wave out. You know, how long is he going to be nice for? How long is he going to do all this stuff and say all this stuff and write me these long messages? And so in, when in the beginning when we broke up, I, I definitely put, again, I put all the blame on me because I just wanted him to feel comfortable. I wanted him to feel not sad. So I, in a way, manipulated it and I lied. I was just like, listen, it's not you. I'm going through something. Like, I think I want to go to therapy. Like, I don't know what's going on. Like, I just totally put it on me. And, you know, we would go out to dinner or, you know, he would take me out somewhere because now all of a sudden he wants to take me out on dates and spend all this time together. And I remember he would tell me, which is something they do, and he's like, you know what, this is your parents' fault. Your parents didn't like that we moved this far and, you know, they put in your head that you shouldn't be doing this commute and that you should be closer to home. This is their fault. And I hate to say it, I sat there and I was like, yeah, they did because any, I just wanted, I wanted him to feel comfortable and okay. I didn't want him to be in any pain at all. That crushed me to see him in pain. And I didn't want him to think I was the bad guy. So anyone that he wanted to throw and say it was their fault, I was like, yeah, you're right. It is like, that's something I, I really regret to this day, but I didn't know what to do in that moment. So that went on for a very long time. Then it comes up to when we need to move out. And again, it just was like a very, very prolonged breakup and this long thing of, you know, just until the, until the, the no contact actually happened. But, um, you know, move out day, it, it, it was weird because, you know, he would be sad, but then like when we're moving out, it, he kind of just acted like nothing was wrong. Like we kind of were just acting like friends, like, Hey, yeah, grab the broom or, you know, do you want to take, you know, he was looking through all the pictures. He goes, can I keep this one? Like we went on a cruise and we had these nice pictures taken. I really want to keep this one. I want to keep that one. So I was like, sure, keep all that. 
And it, it was just kind of strange. And I just remember when we, you know, we spent all day cleaning up the house. Um, and I just remember looking around in the living room. And I just broke down. I was just like, this is actually happening. Now, this apartment, this is what I wanted for so long was to get the apartment and start playing house and, and just move on with life. And now I'm looking, it, it was literally one year that we lived together officially. And now this whole house is empty and this is real. This is happening. So I just remember sitting on the floor, bawling my eyes out. And I just felt like I knew I had to do it, but part of me just felt like this feels wrong or you're, you're making a mistake and you're giving up on someone that clearly loves you and clearly wants to be with you. So yeah, to say I was confused to say I was going through every emotion at this time. I was, um, that night, that night, so at this time, we're moving out. I'm moving back with my parents for a year. So we're in completely different states at this point. He ended up moving um, to back to his hometown, same state that we lived in together. Um, his parents owned a condo, and it just happened to be the condo opened up, so he was able to move in. Again, fate, right? Everything was just lining up, so he had his own place. So we cleaned out the entire apartment. At this point, we're starving. We did not eat all day. I was like, whatever, we're breaking up. I'm not going to see you ever again anyway. So he goes, you know what, let's just go get a a bite to eat. Like, we're both exhausted. We're both starving. Like, let's just get a burger. I was like, okay. Ends up getting a huge snowstorm. I'm stuck there. A huge snowstorm. I cannot drive an hour and a half unless I want to crash and die. So I spent the last night I've ever spent with him at his new house. And... You know, we go to dinner, everything seems, you know, again, we seem like friends. I'm like, you know, this is so strange and weird. I, the guilt, oh my God, did I have guilt. I had guilt for so long. I, I would picture him in his new house by himself, like just sitting there watching TV and I would just lose it. I I felt like I was abandoning him. I felt like I was just leaving him to go to this better life, to go live this happily ever after life. And, you know, I I don't know why I felt so much guilt for wanting to live a happy life after everything I just went through with him for so long. I I felt so, so guilty. Um, So looking around his new house and just, I'm like, wow, like this, okay, this is it. He's here. That night I told him, I was like, look, I I don't want to sleep in the same bed as you. I'm going to sleep on the couch. Like we'll leave in the morning. So, he, um, somehow I ended up upstairs in his room because he wanted to talk about something. So we're literally just laying there talking and I saw the mask slip. And this was the first time since the, the breakup I saw it slip. And I forgot what I was talking about, but I was saying something about the breakup or about, you know, how we need to move forward. I don't know what I was saying, but he goes, all right, I'm done with this. You know, I'm, I'm done with talking about this. Like, he basically just shooed me away. He said, get out of my room, go downstairs. Like, and I was like, there it is. There it is. Like after all this time, it, you know, of him trying to be nice, the mask slipped. And that's when I knew that he is not, he is the same person. The same thing would have happened. And I just was like, okay, yep. And I went downstairs and I knew, I knew the mask slipped. So the next day we wake up and, that was, that was it. I was like, he's going to work. I'm saying goodbye to him. And I'm now driving away. I I moved out and I'm driving away. 
it felt weird saying bye to him because I kind of felt like I was just saying bye for the day. Like, bye, like, have a good day at work. And I just remember looking, because I don't know why he left before me that I left at his apartment. I don't remember. But I just remember looking out the window and I just staring at him like, this is the last time you're going to see him. Like, like, take a good look, basically. Like, he's going to get in his car and drive away and that's it. So that's what happened. He left. I thought, that's it. Not, I'm not going to see him. Part of me knew I was going to see him again. I, I knew that at some point, somehow, I would see him just because of our mutual friends that we do have. So two weeks later, we both get invited to our mutual friend's birthday party. And I get invited. I obviously know he's going to get invited. And I get a text, are you going? So that was, that was kind of hard, you know, to see him again. But, you know, the mutual friend we had, they had other friends there. They didn't know we broke up. So they were asking us, so how, how's life? How, what's going on? What's new? And we just kind of looked at each other like, nothing's new. Nothing's, you know, nothing is going on. Um, so, you know, to speed things up after, I mean, the point I just wanted to make here was it, it was very, it was hard to, to break up. It was every emotion in the book. I went through. Um, and after that, that was the last time I saw him, um, was at that birthday party, which was 2020, I think of January or something like that. Uh, that was the last time I saw him. Um, and then we officially stopped talking in February, end of February that year. Um, and that's when the, that's when things got pretty, pretty bad, you know? So he was still doing the whole Mr. Nice Guy thing, the trying to keep in touch with me, this and that, um, you know, saying he's going to show up to my work and just propose to me, you know, everything in the book, you know, he was doing. Um, and then it got nasty and then it got nasty. Um, so that February, um, he would, he just did so much intimidation. Like he needs to know where I was all the time. One time he found out I was in New York and he was just, who are you with? Who are you with? I know you're with the guy. I know you're on a, on a date. Um, and then he tried using our mutual friends against me. I'm with them. They're saying that you're being so sketchy. You're lying. Um, I caught you in a lie. And then the next day he, he texts me being like, so are you ready to tell me the truth? Like you lied to me last night. Who are you with? And it, it just started to get bad from here. So, um, he, I, I, I guess we can say in the end he discarded me um, because he reached out to me at the end of last February um, and said, I can't do this anymore, uh, which is also a tactic they use, which is guilt. I can't do this anymore. This is too hard on me. You know, we talk because at this point we would barely talk, right? Maybe he would send me a funny video and I would say, ha ha. You know, that would be the, the extent of our conversations per day. And he's like, I can't do this anymore. You know, we talk for one second and then I'm just staring at my phone all night waiting for a response. Like, unless you change your mind and want to, and want to get back together, like I, I can't talk to you anymore. And at this moment I felt, of course I felt bad, but I felt so relieved because I knew I just couldn't do it. I knew like, although I broke up with them that I couldn't be the one to say, stop contacting me or don't talk to me. I just, I physically couldn't, I don't know why. Um, so the fact that he did it gave me so much relief because I was like, okay, good. He did it. I thought we ended it well. I mean, I wrote this long, nice message to him, which I didn't even believe with what I was saying. But again, I just wanted him to feel comfortable. 
I wanted him to not feel sad. Um, and I just wrote this nice long thing and he told me he was crying. I told him I was too. And then we said goodbye. And that, that was the, the last time that we ever spoke. Um, never again did he contact me. I didn't delete him off of social media until that July. So we still had each other on Snapchat and on Twitter at this point. There was one time I did reach out to him because that's when the harassment started. Um, so, you know, he went through every emotion, uh, guilt, you know, let's be all nice. I was at this point, he would send Snapchat stories and it would just be set to me. Sometimes just me, but other times me, my sister, and my one of my best friends. Um, I know this because other people would say they don't see the story there. Um, and it was it was bad. I mean, he would you know, just, just take a picture of something and write the C word or, you know, to mock me, right? If I posted something three days later, he would do a story and he would be sitting there and he'd be mocking everything I'm saying. And I hate, I hate to say this because I don't know why, but in a way I found it funny. And I know that's such a weird thing to say out loud. Like it hurt me. And I don't know if I use this as a tactic, a defense tactic, but I also like kind of laughed at it. And I forget what my therapist told me, what it meant at the time that that's the reaction or emotion I had. But um, that was a really strange thing that here someone is making fun of me and I'm laughing about it. Um, He would, yeah, just complete, complete harassment to the point where I would get anxiety. I would get this pit in my stomach. And then, you know, he just was acting stalkerish. Like, he, I wouldn't see his name looking at my story. Yeah, I know he's looking at it because he would mock my story the next day, everything I said word for word. So it, it was just starting to creep me out. And I started to wonder, does he have my passwords? You know, I, I know he kn- knew my passwords at that time. I, it started to really freak me out about email and just everything. So that's when come July, you know, and I think I mentioned my my therapist on here who was on your show, Debbie Tudor is my therapist. So I see, um, she is great. And, you know, we've been talking, we've been working together now for probably a year and where I started with her a year ago to now is it's amazing. Um, and she told me, she goes, you need to delete him. You need to delete him. He will do this until the day he dies. She goes, he could be married with three kids And as long as you're letting him, he will continue to harass you. So that's why I knew that he's not going to stop. He's not going to just wake up one day and just give up. He literally would have kept doing this until until the end of time. Um, So last summer is when I deleted him off everything. He knew within seconds. He must have had, like, an alert because I deleted him, got home five minutes later, went to go check his Twitter, and it said blocked. So he knew within five minutes that I deleted him. Um, and yeah, that, that was the, the end of that. I was, I was blocked, still in blocked and that's great. Um, and then, you know, so I guess just so people know, I mean, it's not like, okay, that that's it. You know, the curtain closed, story closed. I mean, no, you know, it was, and it's still to this day, you know, that I would say this last year working with Debbie it has been the hardest thing. I mean, even before Debbie, I just had, I just say this just because I, I, I wonder if anyone else out there did this. I mean, there would be moments where 
I would say, oh my gosh, like, you know, I, I do love him and I want to be back with him or, you know, maybe this is just a mistake. You know, I, I would feel that way. The guilt, I know I went over that already, but so much guilt and, you know, his family was still kind of involved with me and sometimes they would reach out to me. And I just felt like I left, let everyone down. I was like, for so long, we've all had this relationship and this family and I just left everyone. I just got up and left. And, you know, in those moments, it's just sad to think that I just didn't see that what I deserved and the, and the worth that I had. I was just still so focused on everyone and, and learning now why I was so focused on them wasn't because I cared about them. Sure. Maybe I did to a certain extent, but what it really was is I was distracting myself from looking inwards and what do I, and you know, being a codependent at, at the lot, the longer that you focus on everyone else and everyone else's feelings, and are they okay? And let me fix and let me, be that person to make it all better. You are just avoiding yourself. And I, that's what I did. I just avoided myself, avoided what I needed, avoided how I needed to heal and just focus on everyone. Um, so yeah, the, the year of, of healing. I mean, I listened to every podcast out there. I got obsessed with it. Absolutely obsessed with learning. And, and it's great to learn this and it's great to listen to all this stuff. But at some point you need to look inwards and, and start looking at, scapegoats and, and codependence and looking inwards to yourself. So um, I would say within the last few months is when I finally deleted his whole family. And, you know, Debbie would talk to me like, why are you keeping them? Like, why was it so hard to cut the cord from them? And I, I couldn't answer that. I don't know why it was. It's I wanted to just see what their life was like, what their life was like without me. And she told me, she was, you're not that special. You know, like, why do you think that they are care? you know, like, you know, caring what you're doing or, you know, living their life for you? I forget how she worded it, but she made so much sense. I was like, you're right. Why do I think that I'm, I'm, you know, hold this power in their life? And, you know, so I just, I learned so much from her and something I will say, I don't know if I mentioned this earlier. I'm not saying it has to be Debbie, but someone like her. Find a therapist that understands this because I wasted months with a therapist. Not that every therapist out there that's, that doesn't specialize in this can't do the job, but I didn't do my research and I went with the first person that would take me and I sat there and I spoke to her for so long and it did nothing. She did not understand. She basically told me I'm obsessed with him, that I'm in love with him and I want to be with him and he wants to be with me and we just should be together and she didn't get it out. She almost like put me backwards being like, Oh my gosh, she's giving me all this information. Um, I had an issue with a therapist before Debbie where, and this is the same lady that when I finally found Debbie, I told her, Hey, I'm going in a different direction. I found someone a little bit more specialized for what I'm looking for. And she actually, she actually turned on me and completely turned toxic on me and had me call her and sit there for an hour, and she told me how I always do this, I always give up on people, how, you know, blah, 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 everything I told her, she used against me, and it was just, it was absolutely toxic, so I say that to be aware that not every therapist is good, and there can be toxic, uh, toxic therapists out there as well. And... Uh, before we end off the show, what 
uh, are the words of wisdom or advice that you have for everyone listening? Just knowing that you have one life, right? You have one life to live and you don't deserve to be unhappy every day. You don't deserve to cry. You, you don't deserve to wonder, you know, why does everyone, you know, why do people have this and I have that? You know, if you're thinking that way, you're not happy and you're not in the right relationship. And I used to think being with someone for so long and showing that you stay together is love. You know, look, ups and downs, we're together. For the other five years, that's love. That's not love. That is not love just to stay with someone, to stay with someone, to say you've been there for so long. Um, so know your worth. If something feels off and wrong, it is. Um, and don't be afraid to ask for help and, and don't be afraid to, to start over, you know, to start over and get the life that you deserve because you have one life to live. Well, Regan, thank you for being on the show today, sharing your story sharing your knowledge. You did, you know, you did a really good job and a lot of people are going to learn from not just your story, but your insight, uh, of what happened, especially at the end there and everything you went through. So from the bottom of my heart, thank you so much for being here today. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. And for Regan and I, we hope you have a good night.